Chapter 6 The Medicine Man That night, I looked to the stars in Orion's belt. There, I asked a question that made me wonder. What do you think of the darkness? I asked the star. It winked and replied, It's an opportunity to shine even brighter. Easy for you to say, when a star like you shines so bright. I myself am lost in this darkness, and I'm unsure how to make it through this dark night. Well, if you're looking for something, then that means that you or something is lost. Now how far are you willing to go when you don't know where to look? And how much will you give to the journey when you don't know how much it could cost? Forward is the way, since that's the only way to go. For we have never been to the places we are heading, and so this path cannot be known, said the star. Who goes there? asked a voice. It's not often that I miss something in the dark. And there I found a man who held a wooden staff under the stars when adrenaline ran through my heart. I am Otto. Are you sure? he asked. Who was I really? Meanwhile, this man wouldn't take his eyes off from the magic of the stars. His chin tilted up toward the moon while his eyes gazed ever far. And who are you? This isn't about me. But I'm looking for the medicine man. Now are you him? Is it you who holds the keys to the secret plan? Who? Is it you? He asked. Well, what does the medicine man do? I'd never heard of such a being, but aren't we all interested in secret plans? Now who was he? And where was this medicine man? He is the one who turns the medicine wheel, he said. Why? So that this earth may heal, he added. But how? He goes off into the dark to reveal that which is true. Carrying nothing but the light from his own heart, he is something like a blind fool, he said. This man was a wanderer, and an unusual one at that. He carried nothing but the dark poncho over his head with a bag that was colored pitch black. Yes, there was something hidden within his layers. He was unlike those in the so-called material world. And was he blind or just reciting a silent prayer? Can you see? Blind faith cannot grasp truth because truth does not grasp anything at all. And the reason the medicine man appears blind is because he follows a path beyond where normal humans are called. For truth such as this, is almost too magnificent. Not even intellect can grasp this truth, because intellect is finite and truth is infinite. Only the eye of the soul could locate the ears to truly listen. There you know it as she who knows her own self, for she is truth, she is inner wisdom, he whispered. And who is she? Now his eyes tilted at me as I peered into him. I suspected him to be clairvoyant, as one of his layers could be a fortune teller within. Don't tell me you forgot. Oh, I hope she won't leave you behind. Unless you find this medicine man, then she might change her mind, he said. I could hear a voice in my mind, and now the intuition was whispering. 
There it told me he was a medicine man, which was called a Medeowin. He'd come from a grand medicine society. It said something about magic and snakes. It was some sort of hidden or secret group connected to the Great Lakes. Medeowin, that's who you are. You're the medicine man who gazes out upon the stars. Who told you that? And do you know what Medeowin even means? Have I seen you before? Have I visited you in your dreams? He asked. I shook my head no. Well, I heard a voice in my intuition, but I've never seen you before. I don't even know what it means. But why didn't you tell me when I asked who you were? Medeowin is translated as the way of the heart. And if your intuition knew that all along, then why would I tell you who I was from the very start? He paused. I didn't know that before, and only a moment ago I heard my intuition speak. I'm not sure if I can control it, but rather the intuition arises with great mystique. No need to ask questions for that which is outside, when all answers are within. The reason you didn't know is because you relied on your human sight when you could have been seeking that inner wisdom. Now who are you really? Because Otto is only a name. Are you native like me? And before you tell me, speak from your heart and do not think with your brain, he said. I took a deep breath in, and I felt a little paranoid having nothing to grasp at, and so I referred to my intuition to answer these questions he asked. My father is not an Indian, no, but I am a spirit son. Now my father is the smoke of the herb, and the earth is my mother. And who am I, you ask? I am at home in nature with all my wild sisters and brothers. Are you sure you're not Potawatomi? Do you know the seven grandfather teachings? Wisdom, respect, love, honesty, humility, bravery, and truth toward each other and all creation, he said. I'm not sure what I am, but those teachings mirror all I believe. Now what is it that you do exactly. I weave, he paused. And aren't you the one who tends to the fire of the heart? I shook my head yes. That is indeed me. Then you are Potawatomi, he shook his head. And you are called back into the council of the three fires. The medicine man took out two stones and a candle. He sparked the flint together on a twisted bit of dry brush until a fire came to life. Hey, I think I've seen those flint stones before. Those stones were a Mowgli's, right? Do you know who I'm talking about? He was a native man like you. We escaped the order a while back because both of us were seeking a life to be lived, honest and true. Yes, it's you, he answered. The flame spread to the candle. But what did he say about the council of three flames? One, he pointed to himself. Two, he pointed to the candle, and three is you. Three flames, ah, he pointed to the spiritual nature of each soul. Three flames together, and now we were three fires under his control. Can you realize the teaching of this fire? It whispers how our inner spirit should burn consciously. Yes, it is us who come together to cultivate that great light. May all the light bearers 
rise to illuminate the seven fire prophecy, he said. Well, is it seven or three? As many fires as we need until we're free. Won't cost anything, and there is only one rule. Release where you cling. Three fires are lit, now four more will come to rise. The spiritual seeker will be liberated because our spiritual nature does not die. This body is not me, for I am not caught in worldly pride. I am no one and I own no thing. I am birthless since I have never died. Beyond the wide ocean, through the stars with many galaxies, we manifest from conscious awareness. This is the secret that spins the medicine wheel, which has always turned since it is beginningless. Know that this is not a normal wheel, but the medicine man journeys beyond time, seeking that which has always been free. The medicine wheel is the world's connection home to the divine. Earth and death are mere doorways through which the medicine man goes in and out. Earth and death are a game of hide and seek, and the medicine wheel is what my life's purpose is about. So smile to me and take my hand. Now it's time to wave goodbye. Tomorrow we shall meet again, or even before. We shall always be meeting again at the true source, always meeting again and again on the myriad paths of life, he said. But who are you really? He winked, but he would not say. Hey, ever had someone ask, when is your birthday? But you might ask a more interesting question. Before that day which is called my birthday, where was I? Then we can ask a cloud, what is your date of birth? Before you were born, where were you in the sky? And so you can ask the rain, what happens when you die? And if you ask a cloud, how old are you? Can you give me your date of birth? You can listen deeply, and you may even hear the truth. When you imagine the cloud being born, can you see its form grow from the water of the ocean surface? Or was it in the river and then became a vapor? Now where was the cloud before the water gave it a purpose? It is also the sun, because the sun makes the vapor. The wind is in there too, helping the water form a cloud as it becomes invisible in nature. The cloud does not come from nothing, but there has been a change in form. It is not a birth of something out of nothing, but still something appears to transform. Sooner or later, the cloud will change into rain or snow or ice too. And if you look deeply into the rain, you can see the clouds coming through. This cloud is not lost, and yet it gives itself to us in the form of rain. And then the rain is transformed into the grass, and the grass into cows, and then to milk, and then into ice cream you give to children when they scratch their knees to cure their pains. Today, if you eat ice cream, give yourself time to examine what is true. Look at the ice cream and say, Hello, cloud, I recognize you said the medicine man. Out of his jacket there was a bag, and there he held a cup of ice cream. Oh, how kind was this strange man! Why, this feels like a warm dream! I brought the ice cream to my mouth and tasted it. Now what does all this mean? It is, and it isn't, quite as it seems, he answered. Huh? Good news for a spiritual seeker, 
but difficult news for the material man. Seven fires will be lit, and each fire marks a phase for all the life of the people on Turtle Island, he said. Where's Turtle Island? It's under your feet, my brethren. That was the name of the world given by the indigenous people of North America. The seven fires prophecy represents the key spiritual teachings that suggest how different color, tradition, and tribes of the human beings can come together on the basis of the seven grandfather teachings. And what happens now? A choice, he answered. What choice? The choice, said the old man. He acted a lot like a mirror, and I think they'd call this ditto. Or was this a mischievous trick or prank? Then was it called Dido? Are you talking about life and death? That's kind of an in-between question, but sure, I'll say yes, he said. Can you be more specific? I'm talking about the only choice that matters in the end. If the world chooses materialism, then through impermanence, all material will perish. But if we choose spirituality, then the spiritual soul will live on in our holy and sacred breath. Each of the seven fires brings change, and so these changes bring our spiritual nature closer to one united whole until there is no separateness left. But for those who still cling, if they cannot detach from greed and ignorance, then they will encounter great difficulty and see these great changes as interference. You will know the future of our people by the face that the people wear. If they come wearing the face of brotherhood, then there will come a time of wonderful change for generations to come, and there will be nothing to fear. They will bring new knowledge, wisdom, and articles that can be joined with the knowledge of all countries. In this way, separate nations will join to make an entire world that is free. This new world will be joined by two more, then four more, until it forms the mightiest world of all and this relinking will continue on until all countries are called. You will know the face of this brotherhood if the races and tribes come carrying no weapons, if they come bearing only their knowledge and a handshake. When this happens, peace will never again escape, he said. And if they come bearing guns and knives, what happens? If the violence does not cease, does that mean we are all going to die? Beware if man comes wearing the face of death. You must be careful, because the face of brotherhood and the face of death look very much alike. Both are warriors. But if they come carrying a weapon, beware of the man who wishes to fight. If they come with many possessions, they could fool you. Their hearts may be filled with greed for the riches of this land, but in the end, no one will outlast that which is true. If they are indeed your brothers, let them prove it. Do not accept them in total trust, otherwise they could strike and create a great conflict. You shall know the face they wear is the one of death. If the rivers run with poison and the fish become unfit to eat, you shall know them by many things, but in the end only wickedness will face defeat," he said. How can we rise over the face of death? with life. In the time of the seventh fire, new people will emerge. 
they will retrace their steps to find what was left by the trail of our ancestors. These steps will take them to the elders, and they will ask to guide them on their journey. But many of the elders will have fallen asleep. Some will awaken to this new time with little to offer, but still they will show great mercy. Some of the elders will be silent because no one will ask them anything. The new people will have to be careful in how they approach the elders, and they must listen to their wisdom when we begin again. The task of the new people will not be easy. If the new people remain strong in their quest, the water drum of the Medeoan Lodge will again sound its voice. There will be a great rebirth of the great nations and a rekindling of old flames. The sacred fire will again be lit. It is this time that the people will be given a choice between two roads. One road will be green and lush and very inviting. The other road will be black and charred, and walking it will cut their feet. In this prophecy, the people decide to take the middle way, to turn inward, and remember to reclaim the wisdom of those who came before them. Let us walk upon that razor's edge. Let us be bearers of the great light, so that the seventh fire will light the eighth and final fire. An eternal fire of peace, love, brotherhood, and sisterhood he said. Have you called me here? He shook his head yes. For what? Totem, he said. Totem? It is the expression of one's truest heart. It is the continuation and lineage of our ancestors from the single great family. Once we free this forest, we'll craft your face upon the wood, and from then on the world will live happily. But I'm not sure I understand. He raised his hands into the air, and then took a giant breath in. He was either preparing to pray, chant, or sing. O tutelary spirit, protector and guardian, you who breathe upon and watch over this land, listen now. Thus I have found a medicine man, following the commands of his heart, venerated something higher and more divine than he could find in his own limited individuality and brought to this great unknown of himself, thus compensating by veneration for the knowledge of divine origin, he said. I waited with the wind and felt something auspicious and strange. Do you remember what your intuition already told you? Welcome to the dawn of a golden age, he said. And what's your name? You're quite outspoken. Hey, look at this staff. It still works after all these years even if it looks roughed up on the bottom. Oh, and did you hear that whisper about the brass door? I heard how a feathered serpent said it's time to break it open. He pointed over my shoulder to where a lotus had grown through the muck. Absorbed in that moment, I felt the certain vibration begin to rise as if something pulled at my spine. A few doves began to fly. Why, that sensation on my skin made my mind feel elevated. Wait, what's happening? And when I turned back toward the medicine man, his form was gone while his shadow dissipated. All that was left was the dark poncho, the wooden staff, a medicine bag, and two flint stones. I spent some time looking for him, but I was all on my own. And after enough time, I took his things and turned to the woods when I entered into the unknown. 
Then after a certain step, I thought I heard that old man coming past. Who goes there? I asked. Not I, but us. Peace is coming at last, he said. The man never told me his name, and was he someone I could trust? After time, that heightened feeling vanished, and I thought I saw smoke or dust. Now those two dark cats appeared. Again I heard a whisper, and so did the cats. I turned around when the hair stuck up from their backs. Often the teachings speak of letting go, but this journey you're on requires that you hold on for dear life and white knuckle it. You'll need to do two things if you're going to make it. Don't hurt anyone and do not quit, whispered the medicine man. Where'd you go? I'm going home, he said. Back where? Back to Milwaukee, the gathering place by the waters, said the medicine man. Wait, where? The good land, he said. And where is that near? Piawake, the flinty place, he said. Is that round here? Well, it's not far from Muskego, the swampy place, which is all part of Muskousing. And so is Marquette, Joliet, and the Green Bay, he said. And what's so special about these places you've got to say? If I go there, will I find you? Think about the earth. Now think about where we are spinning through infinite space. It isn't just any rock. It's a magical one in the perfect place. With just the right light, it all starts to bloom. And as it spins, days go by. This is how we measure how long we're alive. It slaps around the sun while the moon follows us. And imagine if there was no sun, then how would you measure the way we bloom from stardust, he said. Stardust, that's what time is. It's a measure of growth upon stardust. This earth has a mantle, inner core, outer core, and a crust. That's us, with trees, cats, creatures, and mutts. We breathe oxygen, and we're filled with bones, veins, nerves, and all sorts of fun guts. But if you look beyond just us, there are places around this land that have grown for a lot longer than us. Before Noah, 6,500 years ago. Before Adam and Eve, 11,500 years ago. This too will come to pass, he said. How fast does it pass? They're called cataclysms. It's how the wheel spins. And the land of Wisconsin is where the North Pole did begin. And how you wonder? Just think of what Noah, Adam and Eve, Vishnu, Jesus, Osiris all have in common. They represent eras or ages apart. And somehow they all join hands in the next cataclysm to walk with us. As if they are passing a torch. And so all of us carry on that fire. That fire is the center of your soul, and it is also the center of Earth's core. The inner Earth is so powerful that the surface endures whatever shifts the crust must go through. On top of that, there is overwhelming evidence that gives a dramatic picture of where the North Pole has moved. 35,000 years ago, the North Pole was what we call Wisconsin. Then 6,000 years later, it moved to the Caspian Sea, which is the world's largest inland body of water. Then after 10,500 years, 
it moved to the Hudson Bay. Then 7,000 years after that, it moved to the Sudan Basin. And the last shift came 5,000 years after as it settled in the Arctic Ocean. You sure about that? Whether you believe me or not, the point is that the crust moves, and I'm going where it turns whether or not anyone else approves. You see, it's just like a flow, a certain type of groove, a bit of improvisational music finding balance, while most people interpret life as having kids, growing up, going to school, working jobs, and reading the news. That's called the wheel of time, and it's what you do with the day. But then who is in control of what nature has to say? And if you could find such a voice, then what would it have to say? Mind you, I couldn't quite see him, but I did feel a presence leaning in, and so he spoke. Child, I can see the universe behind your eyes. I've been here for a long, long while, since the very beginning, and I love new ears. Yes, the cataclysm does its work well. Why human man has such ego and intellect to think he could own the land. And while man has built many great towers, the way they have mistreated this land will reveal who's been the real coward. Noah was there when the earth shifted its 60 mile thick shell with the poles moving to the equator in a fraction of a day. And if we tumble, we join Noah, Adam and Eve, Atlantis, Olympus, and Jesus joins Osiris, Buddha, and Vishnu. Every time the cataclysmic concept comes up, the beast has been stoned, burned, beaten to a pulp, and buried with a vengeance. But why won't the corpse simply stay dead? Each time it raises the lid off its coffin and says in spatulcral tones, you die before I. But what is this process? What causes a cataclysm to start? Think of it like an awakening of the heart. It's a jump start. The remains of civilizations from 20,000 years ago more advanced than our wildest imagination. Legends from Greece, Egypt, India, and South America became history instead of legend. Other times continents are lost in the Atlantic and Pacific which become outdated realities after their sudden disappearance. Yes, Vishnu came alive, a man who lived through a cataclysm many years ago. Now he is known as a Hindu god of ten resurrections from the waters. Osiris, too, was resurrected, a man from Egypt 15,000 years ago. Noah smiled at us from the pages of the Epic of Gilgamesh, whose Sumerian name, Upnapishtim, lived 6,500 years ago, and the ark built is more than legend. Now what is the trigger? This turned out to be one of the most elusive pieces of the whole puzzle. We couldn't rely on some supernatural explanation, like some happenings in the heavens of a vague character which actually violated the laws of nature. No, it had to be something natural, a part of nature's ordinary structure which disrupts the Earth's inner electrical and magnetic structure. The basic structure of the universe is a generator, or nature's power plant. The energy structure of an atom is identical to a rotating planet, to a blue-white star, to a galaxy, to a supergalaxy, 
to all levels of super galaxies, including a universe and even more. As a neutron, which has escaped from its parent atom's neutral zone, will separate into particles, a star through a sunspot gives off neutral matter, which explodes as it becomes energized. So a galaxy gives birth to an exploding star when a dead star escapes from its neutral zone in the center. And as a dead galaxy explodes, it escapes from the central neutral zone of its parent super galaxy. A planet acts the same at its energy level, he said. What are you trying to say? We manifest as representation of all that is above and all that is below. We're in the very middle, like a magic island between two streams. And a cataclysm is a doorway to awaken us from the illusory dream. I come from the end of the Wisconsin ice cap about 29,000 years ago, and that's where I am called to go, he said. Why? The Naga, the one they talk about in Genesis. Adam and Eve stories were likely to be written in glyphs of Naga, the predominant Eastern Hemisphere language 11,500 years ago. This language is nearly identical to ancient Mayan, and the progenita of many languages, including Oriental and Polynesian tongues, Egyptian, Greek, and Yekut. Moses may have had access to these tablets, or Egyptian versions of them, but he may not have known how to read the ancient language. So how could he understand the glyphs literally? Not being able to read the symbolism of the Naga glyphs, in addition to reading them literally? Moses reads into the Adam and Eve story and attributes it to his day. In that time, woman was regarded as a lowly creature, her birth recorded only as an exception, and basically being the cause of every man's downfall. This attitude persists in some religions even to our time. Mind you, the Sumerian tablets were read by the Egyptian priests long before Moses' time and passed on to him as history. Things that appear on the glyphs given to him by Ezra are cherubims, rib, Adam's sleep, man, woman, tree, fruit, serpent, and sword. The Naga glyphs show us three aspects of life symbolized by a mother continent, a parent civilization lasting thousands of years longer than ours today. An unadorned serpent represented water or the ocean. A serpent entwined around a tree signified that the mother's continent was surrounded by water. Cherubims, which were not pretty, but hybrid man and beast, were the glyphs for legs or foundations or underpins. Instead of being placed in the Garden of Eden, one was taken away, and a Naga, or Mayan reading of the Egyptian Book of the Dead, shows that the cherubims of the north, east, south, and west were taken away, meaning the foundations of the mother continent in all directions were removed or destroyed. The sword was the symbol of fire and earthquake. The fire signified what all legends of these cataclysms call earth fire, which is the molten layer below the earth's 60 mile thick shell breaking through the surface. This could be the origin of man's concept of hell. The fruit growing on the tree symbolized the original mankind, the union with nature, which settled along the mother continent ages before Adam and Eve.
their eating of the fruit tells us that they broke away from the mother continent, and as it is Eve who ate the fruit signifies that she was the generation after Adam, making her his daughter. This glyph of creation is even more revealing. There are three figures, and on the top is the face of a sleeping or dead person, since they are not separate symbols for death and sleep in Naga. Both were the same. The middle figure is shown as a male, and the bottom figure is a female who is repressed as the mother of all mankind. In addition, there are curved lines from the sleeping or dead person and the male middle figure to the bottom female. This glyph has been interpreted to mean that the middle figure, a maul, who was put to sleep, shown by the top figure, and a rib, or ribs, removed from him. The ribs being curved lines are fashioned into the bottom figure who is the mother of mankind, which fits the story of Eve's creation. Yet that top figure, whether sleep or dead, is depicted as female. The mother who was beyond gave birth to Adam, whose offspring was Eve as the bottom female figure. The story as read from the glyphs would be that Adam and Eve, who lived in the Garden of Eden, is the mother continent, who were descendants from the original mankind or fruit of that land, which was surrounded by water or the serpent around the tree. And maybe the most important thing to understand is how paradise was a garden. With that, the medicine man's voice vanished and I was alone in the woods.